Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Brown, Acting Warden versus Davenport. Certiori to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Argued October 5th, 2021. Decided April 21st, 2022. If you'd like to support the podcast, please stay tuned to the end of the podcast. Irvine Davenport was convicted of first-degree murder following a jury trial where, at times, he sat shackled at a table with a privacy screen. On appeal, he argued that his conviction should be set aside in light of Deck v. Missouri, in which this court held that for the 14th Amendment's due process clause generally forbids shackling a criminal defendant at a trial absent a special need. Finding no special need articulated in the record, the Michigan Supreme Court agreed that Deck a violation that a deck violation had occurred and remanded the case to the trial court to determine under Chapman versus California whether the prosecution could establish that the deck error was harmless beyond a reasonable doubt. On remand, the trial court conducted an evidentiary hearing at which jurors testified that the shackles had not affected their verdict and concluded that the state had carried its burden. Mr. Davenport appealed again, and the Michigan Court of Appeals affirmed the trial court. The Michigan Supreme Court declined review. Mr. Davenport petitioned for a federal habeas or for federal habeas relief. The district court found relief unwarranted under the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, which limits the power of federal courts to issue habeas relief to state prisoners. C-28 U.S.C. Section 2254-D. A divided Sixth Circuit panel reversed, declining to analyze the case under AEDPA. Instead, the court held that its review was governed only by Brecht v. Abramson, which held that, the, that a state prisoner seeking to challenge his conviction on the basis of a state court's Chapman error must show that the error had a substantial and injurious effect or influence on the trial's outcome. Persuaded that Mr. Davenport could satisfy Brecht, the Sixth Circuit granted federal habeas relief and ordered Michigan either to retry or release Mr. Davenport. This court granted certiorari to resolve a circuit conflict about the proper interaction between the tests found in Brecht and A.E and AEDPA. The Supreme Court held um, the decision below is reversed and Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion. When a state court has ruled on the merits of a state prisoner's claim, a federal court cannot grant habeas relief without applying both the test this court outlined in Brecht and the one Congress prescribed in AEDPA. The Sixth Circuit erred in granting habeas relief to Mr. Davenport based solely on its assessment that he could satisfy the Brecht standard. When Congress supplies a constitutionally valid rule of decision, federal courts must follow it. In AEDPA, Congress instructed that a federal court shall not grant relief with respect to a claim that has been adjudicated on the merits in state court unless certain conditions are met, section 2254D. To be sure, 
The court below, in this case, was required to ensure that Petitioner carried his burden under the terms of Brecht, but satisfying Brecht is only a necessary condition to habeas relief here. AEDPA must also be satisfied. The Sixth Circuit erred in holding otherwise. Since the founding, Congress has authorized federal courts to issue habeas writs to federal custodians, and since the Civil War, Congress has extended that authority to include issuance of writs to state custodians. All along, Congress, Congress's statutes used permissive rather than mandatory language. Federal courts enjoy the power to grant writs of habeas corpus in certain circumstances. That structure persists today. Federal courts may grant habeas relief as law and justice require. Section 28 U.S.C. Sections 2241 and 2243. Under the traditional understanding of habeas corpus, a prisoner could not usually use the writ to challenge a final judgment of conviction issued by a court of competent jurisdiction. But by 1953, this court had begun to depart from that understanding. In Brown v. Allen, it held that a state court judgment is not res judicata, in federal habeas proceedings with respect to a petitioner's federal constitutional claims. After Brown, federal courts struggled with an exploding caseload of habeas petitions from state prisoners. Eventually, this court responded by devising new rules aimed at separating the meritorious needles from the growing haystack of habeas petitions. The court's decision in Brecht which reasoned that Chapman's harmless error rule for direct appeals was inappropriate for use in federal habeas review of final state court judgments, was part of that effort. Brecht, like this court's other equitable doctrines, restricting habeas relief seems or stems ultimately from the discretion preserved by Congress's habeas statutes. Congress later introduced its own reforms in AEDPA, instructing that if a state court has adjudicated the petitioner's claim on the merits, a federal court shall not grant relief, grant habeas relief unless the state court's decision was, one, contrary to or an unreasonable application of clearly established federal law as determined by the decisions of this court, or two, based on an unreasonable determination of the facts presented in the state court proceeding. That's 28 U.S.C. section 2254D. AEDPA thus left intact the equitable discretion invested in federal courts by earlier federal habeas statutes. Mr. Davenport's two arguments in defense of the Sixth Circuit's decision lack merit. Mr. Davenport argues that because AEDPA inquiry represents a logical subset of the Brecht test, the Sixth Circuit necessarily found that he satisfied AEDPA when he satisfied Brecht. That argument is mistaken. Proof of prejudice under Brecht does not equate to a successful showing under AEDPA. The inquiries under Brecht and AEDPA are different, where AEDPA asks whether every fair-minded jurist would agree that an error was prejudicial, Brecht only asks whether a federal habeas court itself harbors grave doubt about the petitioner's verdict. The legal materials in a court may cons- er, 
the legal materials a court may consult when answering each test also differ. Where AEDPA requires state court decisions to be measured against this court's clearly established holdings, Brecht invites analysis based on the whole body of law. Assuming that the Sixth Circuit's analysis was enough to satisfy Brecht, it was not enough to warrant eligibility for relief under AEDPA. 2. Mr. Davenport argues that this court's precedents in Fry versus Plyler, or Plyer or something, uh, and Davis versus Ayala require a ruling in his favor, but the holding in neither case helps Mr. Davenport, and neither case resolved the question now before the court. Instead, Mr. Davenport focuses on a brief passage from Fry, repeated in Ayala, it certainly makes no sense to require formal application of both tests, AEDPA slash Chapman and Brecht, when the latter obviously assumes the former. And that's a quote from that case. That he believes supports the theory that a court may grant relief without applying AEDPA. It does not. In any event, this court has long stressed that the language of an opinion is not always to be parsed as though we were dealing with the language of a statute. That's a writer versus Sonotone Corp. The court will not override a lawful congressional command on the basis of curated snippets extracted from decisions with no reason to pass on the arguments Mr. Davenport presses here. Even assuming that Mr. Davenport's claim can survive Brecht, he cannot satisfy AEDPA. Mr. Davenport argues the Michigan Court of Appeals Appeals' disposition of his shackling claim is contrary to or unreasonable application of this court's decision in Holbrook v. Flynn. Holbrook rejected the defendant's claim that he was denied a fair trial due to the prejudicial effect of supplemental courtroom security on the jury. The language in Holbrook, Mr. Davenport highlights, cast doubt only on attempts to assess trial prejudice based on speculative testimony by prospective jurors. Nothing in Holbrook is inconsistent with the Michigan Court of Appeals' reliance on post-trial testimony from actual jurors concerning the effect on deliberations of security measures at Mr. Davenport's trial. Nor did the Michigan court unreasonably apply Chapman when it found that the prosecution had established Mr. Davenport's shackling was harmless beyond a reasonable doubt. This court cannot say that every fair-minded jurist applying Chapman must reach a different conclusion. Similarly, the court cannot say that every fair-minded court would have both identified and adopted Mr. Davenport's forfeited theory, that his shackling might have influenced the jury towards a first-degree rather than second-degree murder conviction. The decision below is reversed. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Alito, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined. Justice Kagan filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justices Breyer and Sotomayor joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support me, 
you can find a PayPal link in the show notes, or you can get a hold of me at roadsscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R O A D S, like the truck driving roads, and the number 80. Thanks. <laughs>